Hi, I'm Tefra Jemian. Hi, I'm Caddy Diop. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. Started, um, I want to take a minute and talk about land acknowledgements and uh, indigenous land rights and things of that nature. You might notice that I'm going off script right now. And that's because I think it's really important that land acknowledgements not just become a rote thing uh, that we say every week. Um, that doesn't mean anything, which is something that happens sometimes. I just want to make sure everybody knows that a land acknowledgement is not like a a, a, a magic bullet that fixes anti-indigenous racism and it's really important like the purpose of the land acknowledgement is to keep it fresh in our minds that we do live in colonized unceded territory and to keep that at the forefront of worldview in like how you vote and how you talk about stuff and how you use the land that you live on and where you put your money. There are lots of opportunities to give money back to Indigenous communities um, in Canada, in the U.S., in Australia. So when we say that we acknowledge that the studio that we record on is located on the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations, I'm not just saying that to say, like... And now that I've acknowledged that, I have undone all harm and am, like, immune to any anti-Indigenous action or thought because that's not true. So this week I encourage you to, to when you look up where you live, you can look on nativeland.ca. Uh, yeah, no, it's native-land.ca. If you go to native-land.ca and you live in Canada, you can find out whose unceded territory you're on. No matter where you are, you are on unceded territory in Canada and the U.S. and Australia and a lot of other places. But also, like, see if you can get plugged into a local reparations group, maybe. Or uh, see if you can find a local indigenous um, retailer to buy stuff from or farm to get your food from or restaurant to order takeout from or something like that. And you know, don't just make it something that we say or something that you say or hear. Uh, make it something that you act on today. Yeah, that that was really well said, Pepper. Thank you. It did not feel very well said. So this week is uh, the final week of uh, Indigenous Peoples Month. And uh, in turn, we are taking on this place, 150 Years Retold, which is... Um, uh, an anthology of graphic novel stories um, and it was put together and edited by Kateri Akiwenzi Dam and um, it was a, an interesting take and um, I'm excited to talk about all the lovely artwork um, that we saw so um, this book how can I describe it it's a bunch of stories and it's a bunch of stories from different uh, different roots, which is really fun. And um, the stories are, as uh, you can imagine, drumroll please, not the most optimistic 
this was, and I think it's important to say that, like, this project was funded through uh, the, Can- the Canada Council for the Arts new chapter initiative. So a bunch of money was finally, fun- like, put into uh, getting Indigenous stories out there and in a format that is exciting and in a way that represents, like, the Indigenous diaspora in uh, Canada. And it's really interesting because you can tell through the artwork, like, you know, I'm starting to, this this, this month, I guess, has, has definitely opened my eyes to, like, the different types of imagery that we can see in various Indigenous cultures, and, and that's really fun. I really like this, and this is definitely the kind of book that I would wrap up and uh, give to an emotionally mature youth. It's, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Um, that's something that, that, like, I'm glad you brought up right off the bat. Now, I am not usually a graphic novel reader. I struggle with graphic novels. There's something about following both words and images that is very hard for the way my brain processes. <laughs> and as a result, we've never done a graphic novel on the show before because I think I've been um, maybe calling the shots a little too much. And I was excited this summer uh, when Eunice came on board. One of the first things she said was like, let's talk about graphic novels at some point. Um, and I was just kind of like, oh, they're not really my thing. But I'm glad that that we did this. And I hope that we do uh, that we cover more graphic novels in the future, because I think that they cover a really important uh, part of literature, especially YA and youth literature, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of kids who maybe aren't used to reading novels, but who can get into a graphic novel. And in... Um, kind of a fun mood move actually my kid was really into this book now we didn't read it super far and I think I read the like following story after the one we read and I was like okay so this is as far as she can read in this book because she's seven um but it, it does make certain things more accessible and I think even the sadder things that we pick up on are sometimes in a graphic novel able to be depicted in a way that isn't necessarily accessible to a child who's too young, which is cool. I really enjoyed reading Rosie, which is a story by Rachel and Sean Kitsualik Tinsley uh, about halfway through, which is Inuit, based in, in Inuit folklore. And I really enjoyed reading that after having read Those Who Run in the Sky last week, uh, because mm. there is a, there's a psychoactive quality to both of them that was really and it was really fun to have read that book and then to see these images and feel this uh continuity between the two which is i guess something that happens when you read things couched in the same sort of mythology but it was really really cool experience Mm -hmm. Um, i really i really enjoyed actually um nimki that one really got me mm-hmm. uh, it's uh that one was by uh Kateri Yakiwenzi Dam uh, actually and it's uh about um the woman re- it's a, a woman reminiscing about her time in the fo- in the foster care system mm-hmm. and it's a rough one mm-hmm. y'all it's rough but it's so important it's so important and that one stayed with me that one definitely that lingered um time-wise with me it's it's stuck it really left an impression and it it felt like a bit of a actually the whole anthology feels like a call to action Mm -hmm. don't you think Mm -hmm. like there's something very um important about this this work being sort of a 
uh, I think it's a call to arms to 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 reclaim the narrative about uh, you know about about the realities of uh, how Canadians have treated Indigenous and Inuit and Métis folks for you know hundreds of years, and and this this constant erasure of their knowledge and this you know there's there's I think it's okay, and it's hard for us to accept that these stories are going to be really really hard. But if you look like you know, we can't make the same parallel, but if we talk about, for example, you know, the place of black people in um, YA, I mean, last year when we went on our, on our deep dive into, you know, the classics, mm-hmm. um, it was so much trauma porn, mm-hmm. right? It was so much trauma porn, but that was the beginning. It was, it was like, we're only starting to be able to tell our own story. So of course we're going to, you know, we have to process the trauma, like, you know, what is writing, but like reprocessing things and, and repackaging your reality in a different way. And, and, and sometimes escapism, but Mm -hmm. sometimes in order to truly escape, you have to also name the reality. So, so I'm hoping that this is going to open the door to so much more conversations, because I think that once there is a, and this is obviously a personal opinion, but I think that once you're at a place where you feel safe telling the the hard stories, then all of a sudden it leaves space for you to imagine, you know, a different future. You know, look at Afrofuturism. It's not, it's not the oldest of uh, literary movements around Black writers, but to start thinking about the fact that, like, hey, we, we exist in the future as well, and in space there will be Black people. And, you know, I think that we're, I don't think that we're too far off from, from that kind of shift also in Indigenous, uh, in indigenous literature, or at least that's how it felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the month. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think for me, this place, the collection that we read for this for this week, is so uh, special in that it is a retelling of Canadian history um, from an Indigenous perspective. So looking at the nation state of Canada uh, specifically and and one of the features I really like about it is that there's a timeline um, mm-hmm. from from the beginning to the end. So it starts uh, in 1850, so just before Canada became its own nation, right? Canada, uh, the Confederation of Canada happened in 1867. Um, so it is a very limited history because Canada is not a very old nation state. And, and I think it's extremely important to have its, you know, it's told chronologically and it has this timeline that locates you in the rest of Can- in in sort of what is commonly taught in schools as Canadian history and I, I mm-hmm. think it's very important in that respect so I feel like like with this point about trauma porn and bleakness there's kind of an asterisk here where it's like yes well and and that's why I loved sorry brain coming together again that's why I loved what you said about Yes, it's trauma, but writing the trauma is an important part of the process. And that's why I'm really excited uh, knowing about Heart Drum Press, which is the, um, it's an imprint of HarperCollins uh, Mm -hmm. that's headed up by Cynthia Lytic-Smith, whose book we read at the beginning of the month. And I'm, I'm really hopeful to see more and more Indigenous lit come out that is less focused on 
reckoning is the word that's coming to mind. Mm. Because I, I think that's a really important part of it. There's more reckoning in indigenous literature right now because it's been less visible to many of us. Mm-hmm. I think to get indigenous literature <laughs> mainstream, if you will, then mainstream readers, readers outside of the community need to understand the history in order to have the the everyday literature located. And I think it's really unfortunate that Canadians as a whole don't know very much about Indigenous history. Uh, history is always taught from the point of view of the winners, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, um, you know, and, and I don't know, as a product of, of the Francophone Quebec system, I think there is definitely, uh, unfortunately, and this will surprise no one, um, you know, when a people have been uh, colonized as French Canadians were, um, you know, there, there, there's a bit of a, 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 a negative effect that comes back in this desire to, to, to then usurp a certain form of power and then, you know, go from being the colonized to the colonizer. And uh, in Quebec, we have a terrible track record. Um, and when it comes to, to taking care of, of Indigenous uh, indigenous people and making space and I mean it's been in the news recently we've had issues with you know hospital uh, treatment being uh, you know short of oof, short of something you know you don't necessarily want to you don't want to throw around words like you know crime but well I, I mean I, I think I think in the cases of the recent Quebec hospital news we can use the word crime we can okay uh, yeah (laughs) thank you i'll uh i okay cool um so yeah so this like type of criminal behavior is 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 so anchored within the within the 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 culture and it's such a strange kind of power play and uh as someone who's you know as someone who was born here but from immigrant parents it's a very you have to walk a very tight rope also in talking about these things I find because you don't want to offend on either side obviously I can never uh, presume to uh, know uh, what you know it feels like to be an indigenous person Um, but I do know what it's like to be oppressed (laughs) and I will say I just want to see more of this. I just want to see more books like this, books that are opening my eyes. I was reading this and all I could think was, oh, there's a grade 10 history class in Quebec about the history of Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very political class. And I was like, I just want every single history teacher to just throw this book into the hands of their students and say, like, okay, this is a different way of talking about history. And, like, let's really dive deep and let's let's get political. Let's interest folks in sociology and get them talking about, you know, sort of this colonized view. And even through the movements of wokeness to, to realize that those are also tinted by, you know, colonized tinted glasses Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that those are conversations that need to start happening early and I'm glad I find that the format really lends itself the fact that we have 10 stories you know like you're never too long in a world that is challenging and because we are recounting history yeah it's going to be depressing because what have we not been treating indigenous people correctly (laughs) or something you know like I don't even know where I began here I think I'm just generally in a place where I just want people to face the truth about how terrible we are as a society. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think one of the reasons that Nimki also stuck with me in this story is that um, the social welfare system is still really, really terrible to mm-hmm. indigenous families. And there are still indigenous families losing their children to the foster care system. And um, it really struck home for me to see just how long it's been going on. You know, we learn about the 60s scoop, but not about everything around it and how it is still perpetuated I mean yeah today and I, I always remember I think I've mentioned this on the show before but I had child pre- or youth services I guess it's called here I can't remember visit me once several years ago um, as often happens when parents split up there will be kind of a welfare check on everybody and I remember just being so scared when I got the call that they were going to visit and um talking to a friend who works quite a lot in the shelter system who just said, well, you're not indigenous, so you don't really have to worry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that just, just stuck with me. She was like, if you were indigenous, I would be giving you very different advice, but like, honestly, you're white. So everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Um, And, and that's just, I mean, that was in 2017, you know, that that's still the case today. That's wild. I just like, I'm just letting that sink in. Yeah, and that that uh, you know what really grinds my gears that yeah, <laughs> um, and it was oh. and it was fine. You know, it it was fine. I I showed the social worker my home. She was very encouraging. She was very helpful. She directed me to resources. She was. I mean, I know a lot of social workers. She was what I think most social workers would like to be um, in visits. Mm. But just knowing that for so many families that goes so differently and so many families lose their children uh when what they really need is support i really was just like i mean this has just been on my mind and now this is a little off the topic but you know what if like child services instead of taking children away was there to like provide support and like you could call them up because you're like, oh, I got called up for a shift for work and I don't have child care. And instead of being forced into an impossible situation, maybe a social worker comes and cares for your children during your shift or, you know, wild idea, free drop in daycares or something. And maybe <laughs> child services could actually provide services for children. Yeah. <sighs> Community care, right? Like what if crazy thought the government was set up to facilitate community care yeah i i think it's fair that like i think we should we should we should be fair to our listeners and let them know that before this um pepper and i are in a bit of a slump yes (laughs) (laughs) can we just call this state a state like i'm just i just want to name it it's like uh corona season four is driving me nuts and it feels like my niece who's crying outside the door yeah, I yeah I want everything <laughs> just feels heavy and exhausting yeah. and depressing, and I think that you know, as also people who are who have activist brains and hearts, um, you know, and who do it in a, a plethora of different ways, we also have to be able to find the strength to say, "Ooh, I need a break. I need some lightness. I need some fluff." Mm-hmm. You know, I woke up this morning thinking about our episode about let it, let it snow because I was yeah. like, I just kind of want to go back to a world where like I can get terribly offended at like being able to draw parallels between a sledding scene and a like just and sex. We're so, we're, like, we're gonna get back to that. I promise. Yeah. 
Yeah. We need to intersperse ourselves a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Get I, a bit of lightness. I also want to just acknowledge, take this moment to acknowledge that without Tom Zalatni, who is the executive producer of the network and our editor and also my partner, uh, this episode wouldn't have happened because nope. I forgot about it. And then Tom was like, when are you recording today? And I texted Caddy and Caddy had forgotten about it. So uh, props to Tom. Also, if you are looking for, you know, a network to host your podcast with a executive producer who will remind you to record um oh boy i mean i don't know if that holds when you don't i don't know if that holds when you don't live together actually (laughs) i don't know if tom started calling me and being like uh hello when are you recording (laughs) might not feel the same way (laughs) um anyway i was grateful for the reminder yeah for sure and i think that it is important for us to say like you know, we are incredibly privileged to be able to say, like, okay, okay, we have faced the reality of the consequences of colonialism, and I need a break, and I need like floof. Mm-hmm. Like the reality is that, you know, these are these are these are things that are coming out of incredible positions of privilege. Yes. Um, and it's important for us to name it, and it's important for us to commit to still continuing to do the work. Um, yes, we can take time to take care of ourselves, but that time is spent in order for us to gather our energy so that we can keep the fight going. Mm-hmm. Because as a Black person, I'm fully aware <laughs> that without Indigenous sovereignty, there is no Black freedom. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I kind of want to continue and build on that, though, and say that I did not find this book only upsetting. I just took the bleak path with it. Um, But this book also has just beautiful, incredible images of resistance. Mm -hmm. The the very first story in the book is, uh, I I don't like want to give anything away about it, but it's real good. And that was the one that I read with my kid and was just like, so happy to read to her honestly um it's called annie of red river uh and it's it's real good um and thinking about gonna probably pronounce this wrong but uh, we remember it which is a story towards the end by brandon mitchell about the uh, conflict with the quebec police uh, yeah. uh, about salmon fishing, which was not a story I had ever heard, despite having lived in Quebec for 11 years. I had not, uh, and having lived in Ontario for 10 years before that, I had never heard of these happening, <laughs> this happening. And the illustrations are great in this one. Mm-hmm. And the a thing that you see just repeatedly, repeatedly throughout the story is people standing together in resistance mm-hmm. um, and you you really get that image over and over in different permutations throughout the story culminating in, in the final page which is just beautifully done yeah there are over and over in this collection images of resistance images of survival images uh, again and again of family and community and survival and it's really beautiful so there's there's a lot of difficult things in it. There's a lot of difficult stories. Um, but there's writing into hope also. And the final story is uh, uh, 
futuristic time travel sci-fi thing that's really really fun cheetah skina 2350 (laughs) so i don't want to i just want to make sure that in our slump we're not making it sound as though this book is a slog you know oh god no this is a fun one (laughs) it's so Um, fun and I, i i think that it is important yes the subject i think thank you for making that nuance i think that's very 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 astute you know the slog is not the slog is is a combination of uh the real enemy here the pandemic and uh also <laughs> here i thought you were gonna say colonialism but no <laughs> um i'm accepting to shift my focus towards the true evil right now um corona uh, um but no and i think that we have to we have to name the fact that like all of these factors are playing into us it is also the month of november which yeah. is never anyone's uh, a beat cheeriest time of the year um i think we're just naming the fact that that you know we feel a little a little tired but this book is great i want to buy this book for youth i want yeah i i just i love it it's beautiful it's it's you know, this is this is part of our heritage as Canadians, and we have to own it. And I want each and every one of these authors to be celebrated. I mean, it's really lovely. I was so excited getting this, realizing that the foreword is by Alicia Elliott, who I have followed on social media for a long time, who is a, a um, really excellent poet. Uh, and so I was very excited to see her involvement. Mm-hmm. Tell you what I want. I mean, yes, I want this taught in every school. And thankfully, I think a lot of schools are picking it up. Um, Yeah. But I don't just want this book taught in every school. I want this to be a series, you know? I want there to be... uh, I want to see the stories of pre-colonial figures. And I guess, I mean, I guess, like, because this starts at uh, the Confederacy, or Confederation of Canada, what do you call it? Yes, the Confederation. Okay. Um, there's still, you know, a couple of centuries of, of colonialism before that. Um, thank you. But I would love to see the same approach taken to more history and more stories. And I really hope that the same funding is available for these stories being told, even if they're not about the nation state of Canada. That's what I hope. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, publishing-wise... Like, if we're talking about the Canadian Council of the Art for the Arts, right? I'm, I'm very glad that they're providing more money for Indigenous projects. And I hope that that money extends beyond the name Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope that extends further back. Because what I've just been, like, mulling over so much recently, this is my current thing that I think about all the time, is how much of the history of the place where I live I don't know. Because living in Quebec, the history I know is history of European contact. Mm. And that just goes back, you know, to like the 1600s-ish, which is, I mean, that's like basically modern history, you know? Mm. Um, And I've just been thinking so much about how little I know about the place I live and how I would love to know more about it. So I really hope that we see this kind of funding for projects that go further back, for projects that acknowledge history and culture far beyond European contact. And I just just really hope that funding is made available because I want it. Preach, Tepper, preach. 
Um, is there anything else that we want to mention before uh, we start signing off? Maybe um, what what's what's brought light to your week, Devin? Hmm. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Wow. <laughs> the sun goes down at 420 now. I know. I know. I know. <sighs> um, my big treat of uh, the week uh, and uh, probably the month has been that uh, today is my mother's, uh, the day of recording, it's my mother's 75th birthday. <gasps> and yeah, and uh, I for went, uh, I decided to come and hug my mother. That's so nice. Yeah. There you go. That's what brought me light. That and my nieces saw me and got really excited, and it was beautiful. I really like your mother. I've met her, and I like you her. Have. I have. She's a, and she's she's a piece of work. I like her. Happy seventy fifth birthday to your mother. That's so nice. I have not there been able go. to hug my mother in a very long time because she is immunocompromised, and uh, it is hard. I hope we can all yeah. hug our mothers soon. Well, no. Okay. You know what is a bright spot for me is knowing that there are two vaccines now that are moving forward and that eventually we are going to be able to see each other again. Oh, I'm going to make out with everyone. Every single one of my friends. Yeah. Uh, and they're with gonna you. It's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, I think... I think that like 2022, 2023 are going to be weird years <laughs> where everybody's, nobody's, every, everybody's going to go wild. It's going to be a global uh, puberty. We're here for it. We need it. We need a bit of revolution. So bad. We're due. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, <laughs> the other day I was just like, do you think we're going to have like a serious uptick in STIs after COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. (laughs) And Um, you know what? I'm just glad that they're treatable. Yeah. (laughs) I I did have, actually, I also had a family-based bright spot this week, uh, which is that today I just hopped on a little video call with my brother who lives in Toronto and who I think I have spoken to more regularly during this pandemic than at any other point because suddenly video calling is like so accessible (laughs) Uh, like not it's not more accessible than it used to be but it's more in my brain you know yeah um and so we'd been like emailing back and forth about qigong meditation because i started doing that and it's good um and my brother is studying chinese traditional medicine and he is a cool person my brother is very cool and so we were just like ostensibly going to talk about that but then we ended up talking about other things and Toby told him some words and you know it was good Toby's a bright spot too Toby's real nice these days dandy baby for the whim yeah he uh he likes to put on a hat and then um he takes this little toy duster he has (laughs) and he rides it around the horse uh, around the house going force force Which is how he says horse, and it's cute. Oh, boy. It's fun. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Yes. <laughs> this, was a real, this was a real short one, folks. We just uh, we just don't have that much to we give. We don't have enough. <laughs> but this place um, is really good. 150 years retold. Really highly recommend it. Yeah. Give great it. Christmas gift. And great Christmas gift. And I, I do think that, like... I think this could start at like 12 with yeah. even younger with like adult 
supervision because mm-hmm. there are there are sad things there is you know suicide and harm and things like that but it's beautifully done and it's the kind of thing that I feel like if you started reading it youngish it would grow with you and then yeah. you just have this history so it's real good it's really good um buy it read it yeah buy it ask give it to people to it. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely ask your library. I uh, was talking to somebody about it. I was talking to my sister about it and recommending it because she um, teaches, among other things. She said she wanted to read it, but their library didn't have it. So tell your library to talk it. Now she's in New Brunswick. Um, I don't know why I said that as though New Brunswick just doesn't have libraries like the rest <laughs> of us do. <laughs> she's out in New Brunswick, you know. They don't uh, they don't have anything you can't bring in by boat in New Brunswick. Oh, so. my God. She's in New Brunswick. I uh, <laughs> don't think they have social social fabric there. Well, thanks for listening <laughs> to Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, you can send us an email at theyapodcast.gmail.com. I want to say a really great thank you to Ingrid, who reached out to us um, just to say hey, have you done a review of this book? I read it and I was kind of underwhelmed by it and I was wondering what you thought. Um, it made my day. That was so. That was such a nice email to get. And I responded and was like, no, we haven't reviewed that one, but it was a Sarah Dessen book. Ooh. And I was like, here are the other Sarah Dessen books we've reviewed. And like, I'm really curious to hear what you don't like about it. So like, absolutely. I, I'm the one who manages the email account for the most part and the social media. Um, if you have a book that you read that you're like have thoughts on and you email that over, I will absolutely respond to that and oh, yeah. I will be really excited to get it. Uh, we've also had like patrons come to us with questions about like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And I love it. Uh, it makes my day. So please send us an email at the app podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, I had lost my outro page. Well, you lost <laughs> your outro page? Was it Was it because I took 20 minutes to read the first no, line of it? Was it possible? No, it's cool. It's cool. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. Um, follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast. And individually, I'm at Caddy Double Underscore D. And I'm at Teffer Bear. Caddy, what do you think of the new fleets? Oh, I think that because there's a brand of enemas and douches uh, by a brand with the same name, it makes it very funny. It is funny. <laughs> yes. I'm just really sad that all social media is starting to look the same. Just like I was trying to yeah. diversify my... Anyway, if you like the show and want to help us make it even better... <laughs> consider... I'm losing it. Consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate today. Shout out to our patrons Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron. We love you. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who's into history. I don't know. Or a friend who likes stuff. Um, or a friend who likes graphic novels. There we go. Uh, Boom. 
This little section about supporting us for free is actually super important. These are little things you can do that does a lot for us. Engaging with our social media posts also does a lot for us. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Brew with our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefer Ajamian. That's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Bye-bye! Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, and you might laugh. Hey there, campers. My name is Emmett, and I'm the host of Gaze in the Woods, a podcast that explores rural LGBTQIA2 experiences, from radical fairies and lesbian farmers to backwoods slam poets and community organizers organizing communities the community didn't know were there all along. Can you have a pride parade when you're the only gay in the village? What is camp when you live in a trailer? And if a genderqueer bear shares their pronouns in the forest and nobody gets it, is anything real? I don't know, but let's find out together on Gaze in the Woods, an Upford Network podcast.